Anthony for three. Bang! Curry way downtown. Bang! Seconds. Bryant for the win. Bulls trying to get open. Fires away. Bang! It's over. Doncic pulls up three-pointer. Bang! Bang! It's good. Doncic wins the game at the buzzer. Welcome to the Knockdown J Podcast, where we talk about everything NBA. I am your host, Jalen Dixon, and today we are talking about expectations and pressure amongst the biggest, most important players in the NBA. Pressure is one of those things that when you talk about sports in general, it's one of the things that fuels the entertainment value of the the game that we love. When you talk about basketball, Everybody plays 3-2-1 in the backyard. Everybody loves playing those old Kobe highlights of making game winners. Everybody loves watching compilations of guys doing damage when they are needed most. Scoring when the game is at its closest, being there for their team when they need them the most. And so with that being the case, as we look into the 2022-23 NBA season, The big thing that I want to focus on in this episode is who are some of these guys coming into the year that have a lot of this pressure on them to make this their season? Now, I want to preface this by saying that one guy, the only guy actually, that I I omitted from this entire listing is LeBron James. We understand. The dude is considered as the second best player of all time, first best player, depending on who you talk to. The dude enters every season until he retires with the expectation to win a championship and anything less is, of course, considered a bust. We got it. We understand. So with that being the case, we left him out of this. But the reason why I keep saying we is because I feel as though my expectations are very different from other people's in terms of not only the guys that I watch around the league, but also just the kind of bar that I set for certain people. So with me today, I have my good friend Ian Evans from the Impact Podcast to talk about these expectations. But Ian, before we get into the actual basketball, of course, bro, how you been? It's been a minute since we didn't talked offline, my guy. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Um, it's been a minute, man. Um, obviously, you know, it's just been a very crazy summer. Um, um, I don't know if, if those of you don't know, I also work for Bleach Report. So um, just doing a lot of traveling. Uh, went to Texas in July for the House of Highlights showdown, like with RDC and all them and mm-hmm. a whole bunch of those influencers. So doing that, working on Shaq's podcast, working on a whole bunch of other stuff. So it's been few and far between, man. Just like, you know, I'm here and there, basically. A whole bunch of people have been saying the same thing. Jay's been saying, like, man, I haven't seen you in a minute. Just been traveling, like Chicago, Texas. So I'm back home, actually, in D.C. right now, believe it or not. But, um, yeah, man, it's just super busy. So I haven't really had too much time to record on my my end uh, in general. But I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be on the, the Knockdown Jay podcast. It should be a good time, man. Yeah, man, that's live. I mean, you know, in a in a very quiet – well, it's – wasn't so quiet in the beginning, but in the quiet off season, or at least in the quieter part of this off season, um, it's good to know that you've been able to keep yourself going, considering the fact that, hey man, there's still content to be made. Whether it's your content or somebody else's, you already know the drill, especially working for BR, that's a huge opportunity. So being able to stay in the mix is huge. But Today, like I said at the top, we're going to talk about expectations going into this season. We're going to focus more so on players in this podcast. There'll be a point probably a little bit closer to when the season starts where maybe I'll share some of my expectations for teams going into the year. 
But today we're going to just talk about a couple of players that we think really need to step up in a big way this upcoming season. It could be for a multitude of reasons. It could be because they had a bad closeout to the back end of last year and really need to prove themselves coming off of a tough postseason performance. It could be a guy who didn't play last season and the the league and the world, the NBA world, forgot about him and they need to come back and prove that they are him again. It could be a guy who is under the radar and is due for a rookie contract extension but the team is still very weary about him, and they need to do something soon to prove that they are worth still being considered as part of an upcoming young core. These are all some of the myriad of reasons why somebody could enter a season with a lot on their shoulders. So we're going to do six players in total, three per person. And Ian, I'm actually going to start with you. Who is your first player that you think enters the 2022-23 season with a ton of pressure on their shoulders? Oh, man. I mean, well, first of all, let me say this. I mean, there's a ton of guys, a ton of guys in the league uh, who have an immense amount of pressure, immense amount of expectations based on whether they did either good or, frankly, bad last year. So, I mean, there's a a plethora of guys you could choose from. Um, I don't think this this is one of your guys, but this is an honorable mention for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paolo Boncaro, I mean, he's obviously, he was the first overall pick. I mean, it's not one of my guys is just a guy I'm going to be watching closely, obviously, because of the whole DeJounte Murray thing, which is probably the dumbest <laughs> beef since uh, Ben Simmons, Jared Dudley, in my opinion. Just came Easy. out of nowhere. But um, just, I mean, obviously, you already have beef with a guy and you haven't even played a game. So that's mm-hmm. one guy like, hey, look, if you're already having beef with a guy who's been in the league, I want to say five, six years already, and, you know, you haven't actually played a game, there's going to be some expectations on you. You know, like, Definitely. oh, you're doing this in pro-ams already. People are already coming at your neck. You better be doing something good for the Magic as a number one overall pick. But that's not, one, that's not one of my guys. I'm just going to watch a close eye on him. My first guy, honestly, is Luka. And mm. I only say it's because he's one of those guys who is a dark horse candidate MVP this year. Uh, he was last year, but, you know, few and far between with, you know, voting and this, that, and the third. And obviously it was just going to be between Jokic and Embiid anyway. But he's going to be a dark horse MVP candidate. If there was one thing that the Dallas Mavericks needed to address besides Jalen Brunson leaving, it was, hey, we need an actual, actual big man who can run a pick and roll but can actually provide, whether it be shooting from the perimeter or even from the mid-range to help, as well as be a rim runner. Guess what they did? They went out and get Christian Wood. So now you have a guy who can help you on both sides of the ball, right? So I'm saying this as, look, and, and then on top of that, they got to the Western Conference Finals last year. So – and we saw what they did against the, the Suns in that game seven. There's going to be immense amount of pressure on Luka. Hey, you've already been here. Well, I'm not saying, hey, you got to go to Western Cup. You got to go to the finals. Get there again, but make it closer this time. Because we know, obviously, the Warriors are going to be there. The Suns are going to be there. Hell, even the Grizzlies are going to be there, right? There's going to be so much pressure on Luka to deliver again because of what they've done in this offseason. And on top of that, a lot of people forgot Tim Hardaway Jr. was not in there in that Western Conference Final Series last year. Add him back into the mix, you got to get there again, in my opinion, especially if you're healthy and you're a Dark Horse MVP candidate. How can you not get back there? I mean, granted, the Western Conference is stacked, obviously, but you got there again. Again, you're a Dark Horse MVP candidate. There's going to be so much pressure and high expectations on you, especially because when you look at it, they got better. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, it's funny that you keep associating Dark Horse with Luka Doncic when you talk about that MVP race because, I mean, the last two preseasons, 
betting odds have actually had him at number one. And I think in a way that actually almost further fuels your point about him being a guy who has a lot of pressure on him because he's a guy that clearly the world expects is going to take an MVP caliber leap. Some would say he's already done it. It just has not really asserted himself in the conversation enough when you talk about the crazy statistical output of a Nikola Jokic or a Giannis Antetokounmpo or of course Joel Embiid who's come in second the last two seasons as well. But he is a guy that clearly has that next notch ahead of him. And now people are looking to see whether or not he can reach what that gear is. And I think you made a great point about the postseason in particular. It was the first time we finally saw the Mavericks go up against teams that weren't like almost quite literally built for them, you know, in terms of a matchup in the first round that was really tailor-made to kind of take them out of the stuff that they do well. And we saw that when things were a little bit more even matchup-wise, Dallas was able to show out. And of course, things got a little sticky against Phoenix in the beginning, but Luka Doncic in that series showed, especially on the back end of it, that he was the best player in the series and asserted himself as such. And that was big for his development moving forward. I think the other thing is too, when you talk about expectations, I think just internally, the expectations expectations are better or, or higher, I should say, because even if There are other people that agree with you in a sense that believe that they address some of their bigger needs, specifically the one about getting a solid big man inside with Christian Wood. I think others would also say that if you look at the roster outside of Luka Doncic and Spencer Dinwiddie, how many ball handlers are there really on this team? It's a lot of three and D wings, but not a lot of guys who can create for themselves. And I think that puts Luka Doncic in a situation where he is going to have to be much more of an offensive generator for that team. He's already a guy that has a significantly high usage. He's already a guy who we know can fill up the box score. But now I could see a 2017 James Harden kind of responsibility for him in the sense that he's going to be a guy with a 30 plus percent usage rate. And he's going to be the driving force of this team while everybody else has to kind of fill out a role. If you look at the construction of their roster, Spencer Dinwiddie as a secondary ball handler, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., like I mentioned beforehand, Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Cleaver, these guys, you put three of D guys along with a solid center in this rotation. And I wouldn't say it's a spinning image of that 2017, uh, 2017 Rockets team, but it gives little hints, little shades of that squad. So I think just even internally, there's a lot that you can take from how they built their roster, this team, uh, this offseason. that's going to make you kind of look at this team and say, this team obviously goes as far as Luca goes, but this year might be the most defining season of that method. My fault. I was muted. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, you, you absolutely right though. I mean, I mean, I mean, granted, I keep saying dark horse because like I was high on Luca for MVP. Like when we talked last year, I was high on Luca for MVP last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is, you know, leading the, the preseason or I guess uh, off season odds in MVP, uh, you know, in terms of the best odds to win MVP, he, he is obviously number one for actually pretty much most sites except like a couple, but I don't know what it is, something along the way. And this is why another reason why I have a lot of pressure on him and high expectations because somewhere along the line during the season, I don't know whether it be slumps or something. And, and we talked about this earlier. Um, I want to say during the season, there's a reason why some people uh, don't see Luca winning uh, an MVP is because he turns over the ball a lot. He does. I mean, granted, yeah. he, he granted, we know what he can do with the ball. We know like he, he can create whatever at a whim. He can score at will. He's, probably he's a pretty solid ball handler you know he's an incredible playmaker but when it comes to 
some of the other things he tries to do too much at times. Like he sometimes will average like four or five turnovers a game when most point guards average barely two. So it's like, that's why, again, that's why I keep saying dark horse because I know at some, I hope not. That's why I have a lot of expectations. Mm-hmm. Somewhere along the way, those odds go from, hey, you're like plus 400, plus 300 down during the year. I mean, well, granted, because Curry went crazy during, you know, the beginning of the year. He was deleting vote getter for a while. And then obviously it was just between Jokic and Embiid. But somewhere along the way, it went from, oh, look at top five, top three, top four last year at the beginning of the year to, yeah, I mean, like, why are you going to waste your money betting on Luka for MVP at that point? Right. So this year you need to be like, all right, top one or top three throughout the rest of the season. So you keep your name in that conversation. Yes, it's easier said than done, but I mean, he can do that. And again, with more firepower, I think the only thing that's stopping him in terms of expectations wise is him and his team staying fully healthy. Yeah. I think definitely when you touch on the capabilities factor, there's no way in the world that you walk into any season, at least at least over the last two years, and then include this year, where you say that you don't believe that Luka Doncic has his name somewhere in that conversation by the end of the year. The question, like you said, has been sustainability, the ability to kind of remain at that level and do it for the course of an entire season. You know, there's been questions about Luka Doncic from uh, a health standpoint or like a how he takes care of himself standpoint, I guess is the best way to phrase it. A lot of people have been giving a lot of buzz, especially with him playing with the uh, the national team uh, so far during the summer, that this might be another one of those off seasons where Luca is starting to slowly move back to being in like the best shape of his life is the way they phrased it, right? And I think that that's something that can translate really well that if it does manifest itself, I think we could be looking at a guy who really asserts himself into that MVP conversation and leaps, leapfrogs some of these guys that are continuously in rotation for this convo. Like I said, Jokic, Giannis, Embiid, the guys who are, like I said, have pretty much been playing musical chairs for that position the last couple of seasons. The first guy that I have, I'm actually starting a little low key on this one, but I also think it's kind of an interesting uh, place to start is I'm going to start with De'Aaron Fox for the Sacramento Kings. And the reason why I start with him is because I wanted to focus on at least one player who I think has a lot more expectations going into a season just based off the situation around him more so than his actual talent level. I think that plenty of people have gone on the record as saying that De'Aaron Fox is a guy who has all-star caliber talent. Ian, I'm sure you've seen more than enough lists on online year after year that that list of who's going to be the player that makes their first all-star team. And De'Aaron Fox gets thrown into those articles year after year after year. We haven't been able to see him accomplish that. But I also know, we all know that all, that, that that lack of success individually has also been affiliated with the lack of success for the Sacramento Kings team. The reason why I picked, De, picked De'Aaron Fox is because when you look at what Sacramento has done over the last couple of months, they have pretty much put all the onus on building around De'Aaron. They almost overcommitted. Me and you were extremely highly uh, against the idea of the Tyrese Halliburton, uh, DeMontis Sabonis trade when it took place. But we know that at least what was expressed was the philosophy is we're going all in on De'Aaron Fox. So what do you do outside of grabbing DeMontis? You acquire his old Kentucky backcourt mate in Malik Monk in the offseason. You grab a lot of shooting with grabbing guys like Kevin Herter, drafting Keegan Murray, getting defensive guys like Matthew Della Vadova, veteran dudes 
like Quinn Cook, and you still have guys like Rashawn Holmes and Harrison Barnes on the roster. Davion Mitchell as well. You have a roster now that although they are the Kings, and that means a lot when you talk about the fact of needing to see them prove themselves, when you look at the Kings on paper, they have a roster constructed very well. They have a roster that at least on paper for the first time in probably years actually makes sense in terms of the direction they're trying to head in. And it has a lot to do with the idea of De'Aaron Fox being the number one guy but also having DeMontis Sabonis as a guy who not only can get buckets, but can facilitate for this team while having shooters and defenders around him. Something that is a typical one, one-to-one way to build an NBA team in 2022. So my question to you is like, what are your thoughts on not only De'Aaron Fox, but the, Sacram- the Sacramento Kings going into the season? I'm extremely high on them, probably way higher on them than other people. I've expressed this in a lot of different mediums trying to explain it, but I can also understand the trepidations going into any season betting on the Kings. So what is your take? I mean, they're cool. I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, it's, it's, look, I mean it's, it's the Kings, man. Like, I'm not going to. Look, I, I've talked to a couple Kings fans. Like, yeah, they think they're going to be better than they were last year. They missed mm-hmm. out on the playoffs. Um, I think they finished right under the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they could be a playing team. I really think that's their ceiling. I mean, I really don't have too many expectations. Mm-hmm. I do see what you're saying, though. Um, I'll add to your point uh, with that. I mean, they also drafted Keegan Murray. I mean, a guy who, um, honestly, we were kind of questioning. You know, yeah. like, oh, should they have taken him right there and then had a crazy summer league, honestly. Mm-hmm. So we're like – Honestly, we might have been wrong about Keegan Murray because he could add to, honestly, the offensive attack and defensive, honestly, add to the defensive, I guess, stoutness that they actually needed. I mean, along with Sabonis. So uh, I I think he could help that in that regard as well. But in terms of expectations, uh, I get it. I mean, um, we'll put it this way. For the Kings, I really don't have too many expectations. Mm -hmm. Like, be a play-in team. That's Mm -hmm. my thing. Um, But in terms of De'Aaron Fox, I see it. I wouldn't say he has as much pressure as some other guys, but I'll, I'll put it this way. I think he has more pressure and expectations as to, to be an all-star yes. than, to, than to push them into like the playoffs or anything like that. Cause that's going to yes. be leaps and bounds that need to happen for that man to get there. So right. I, I do agree with what you're saying though, because like, if you look at his stats last year, I mean, he went from a guy, I think he wanna, I want to say he averaged roughly 24, 25 last year. And then, I'm sorry, two years ago. And then last year, his numbers dipped just a little bit to a point where people were like, ah, okay, well, we need better from you, De'Aaron. Like the fact that you're going from 32, 33% shooting from the three to under 30% as the point guard, Mm -hmm. which was something he needed to work on going into the league anyway. And we're like, that's what, like, that was my expectation. You got to be better in that regard. They need you to be better in that regard. Like, think about it this way. Darius Garland was incredible at Vanderbilt, right? Mm -hmm. In his second year, he's already going through leaps and bounds, making that team great. Now, granted, he already has, you know, he has, you know, Evan Mobley there. He has, uh, you know, Kevin Love there as a vet, vet, you know, to kind of help him through all that. Isaiah Coral has been great for them. Um, I don't know what's going to go on with the young bull, but hell, he's still there, you know, and Jared Allen's there. So there's guys there to help him in that regard. But it's not like we're talking about the Cavs going through like to the Eastern Conference Finals next year. No, we're, mm-hmm. we're, they'll probably be a playing team again. I think they'll probably make the playoffs as a lower seed. But, you know, I mean, for the Kings, like I, I see why De'Aaron Fox is one of your guys. It's just like how much is it of – this? Is, I guess this is my question to you. How much of the expectations do you think are – are your expectations super high 
like, oh, we need you to get in the playoffs this year? Or is it like an individual thing, like I said, like make it to an all-star game? Well, I think those two things go hand in hand, and that's what uh, that's what I mean. So I'll try to explain it this way. When you look at the way that they've re- they, they've basically assembled this roster this offseason, they have tackled the offseason with a real plan in mind. Now, whether people agree with the plan for Ed slash philosophy, that is that is up for debate. But when you look at the circumstances of how they tried to do this, they have went all in and building around De'Aaron Fox. So when I say the expectation for De'Aaron Fox, from my perspective, is a bit higher, it's because for the first time ever, De'Aaron Fox has an actual squad around him that fits his skill set. Now, the question is, what are you going to do with it? I don't even think it's about playoffs and things like that. But I think the idea of the Sacramento Kings moving forward has to be if you're going to you know, push the narrative that you're trying to still stay competitive and play winning basketball. Right. You're trying to still trying to break that 17 year curse or whatever it is. Right. The idea is not I'm not going to put the pressure of saying they need to make the playoffs on De'Aaron Fox by his lonesome. But there has to come a point where we have to look at him and wonder, is he a winning player, though? There has to come a point, especially after seeing them make the decision that they made to go all in on him. After going all in on him, the Sacramento Kings have to come out of this offseason and say, did we get our money's worth? Did we see progression? Can he be the the focal point of this team? And we can continue to build off of what we did this offseason in order to continue leading in this direction? Or... Did we simply waste an offseason leaning into the wrong guy? Something that me and you actually discussed on a separate platform about, hey, maybe what what if they did Tyrese Halliburton with DeMontis Sabonis instead and they moved De'Aaron Fox? What if that might have actually been the move that made more sense? The second guessing, the things of that nature are what I think are really important when you talk about De'Aaron Fox because the questions now loom around him in this sense of, is he actually the guy for this team or did the Sacramento Kings let's let's just call a spade a spade fuck it up as bad as we thought they did right in terms of actually leaning in with this philosophy right right no I see what you're saying see my thing with, <laughs> my thing with the Kings I was explaining this to a co-worker the other day playing for the Kings and watching the Kings is basically like if you've seen the Avengers and you know DC and Marvel and all that type of stuff you know how there's that joke like like me when uh Superman throws my car that I just paid off at, at a villain and I'm just there standing there like, come on, <laughs> bro. That's exactly how it is watching and playing for the Kings, man. You think they're going to go so well. And just when you think it's paid off, here go Iron Man or, or, or a Hulk, throw my, throw my car mm-hmm. clean 3K miles away. <laughs> now I got to go get another car that I have to pay off again. It's the same thing with the Kings, man, because they look they like they don't get me wrong. They have a decent amount of talent. I mean, even if you look at the bench, they have some decent role players that, you know, when they come in, I mean, we, I don't even know how we didn't talk about baby on Mitchell, who's going to, I think, be solid next year, too. But mm-hmm. it's it's the same thing with the Kings every year. So uh, I, I do agree with your saying with what you're saying in terms of like, OK, we drafted him this high. Is he that guy for us? We don't know. So I, I see with that expectation, I, I fully understand. But it's it's the same thing with the Kings every year, man. Like I think they nice. can again. I think they can be a playing team, but I'm not really super high on them because I can see the same thing. Like at the end of the year, I would not be surprised that if they threw that 04 Honda five <laughs> k miles away, and that's how their season ends. 
<laughs> no, I mean, and I definitely feel you. And I've I've been trying to have this conversation with people a lot because I'm trying to kind of wait, uh, you know, get a good gauge of the room on the Sacramento Kings because being able to have a deeper conversation than just they're the Kings, I feel like that's the easy way out. I feel like that's an easy way to be able to look at them, and it's a, it's honestly an agreeable term, <laughs> even with all of the the. I wouldn't say hype because that's not where I'm at, but even with the optimism that I have about the Kings construction of their roster heading into the season, also getting Mike Brown at coach, which I think is low key and underrated pickup for them by having an actual competent head coach for the first time in a minute, I think will do like wonders for them in terms of their progression throughout the season. I think the biggest thing is not just from De'Aaron Fox, but also the Sacramento Kings in general is just we need to see some kind of progression from this team. I think they're one of the few teams at the bottom of the standings for a lot of these squads that like they have not committed to the tank. So with that being the case, we have to see something developing for them to justify them continuing to run this hamster wheel. Otherwise, again, the mediocrity continues and the question marks continue to stick around and it just makes you wonder like what what when is this franchise ever going to start to make sense? And obviously, like I said, I think De'Aaron Fox is like the head of the snake on that question. This this team will never really make sense. We will never understand what the Sacramento Kings are trying to do. We will never understand who the Sacramento Kings are trying to become unless we understand who De'Aaron Fox is meant to be or is planning to become as a player. Is he just going to be a solid guard that ends up having a long career as an athletic guy who can definitely, you know, do some things, but definitely has a a closer ceiling than others? Or is this a guy that has significant upside that has the chance to really burst onto the scene and be a different kind of special guy that can help maybe not lead your team to a championship, but be a real piece on like like we were talking about a playoff caliber team, playoff caliber team. Right. I mean, I, I don't really want to go super in too deep with the Kings. I mean, obviously, yeah, like course. you said, like we can, like, yeah, of course, just, it's just the Kings to me. But uh, kind of to add to that, um, my thing with the Kings is it's they do have potential. It is there. Mm-hmm. It's not like we're talking about the Pistons who are probably not going to make the playoffs again this year. Granted, mm-hmm. they're still working up to that point. Right. Um, it's going to be tough for Kay Cunningham, I will say. But I mean, look, they did trade for Kevin Herter, a guy that they needed, you know, shooting-wise on that team. I mean, they needed another guy on that perimeter who could really shoot for them. Um, I think – I believe they ended up getting Josh Jackson, I want to say, in the offseason or during the season, something like that. He could help in terms of being kind of a tool guy for them. I mean, there's a there's a bunch of guys on that bench who can help, especially when we're making a case for De'Aaron Fox, who can help that case for Sacramento, and they've been through a lot. They also did get Malik Monk. I feel like that was kind of under the radar as well. He's mm-hmm. another guy, granted, had, I would say a little bit, not super, but a little bit of a resurgence, you know, playing for L.A., getting, uh, you know, that – uh, exposure that he needed, especially coming from, you know, a guy we thought was going to be great coming from t- Kentucky, didn't, you know, mesh well with Charlotte, ended up playing for LA for a bit, had a, some decent games in there. Some games where you're like, I don't know what he's doing, but I think, you know, pairing him in that backcourt as well, there is some potential there. Even Mike Brown said it in his press conferences. There is a good amount of potential there. It's just, where is that potential going? Is it wasted potential or is it promising potential? That's mm-hmm. my thing with the Kings. So, and I, sadly say i think it's just stagnant so definitely uh, yeah we'll see what happens yeah definitely a lot of questions still around them i want to move on to your second player um so who is the second guy that's on your your three-man list here 
So so Jalen told me before that I could do duos. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to do a duo, and I know it's probably so people are gonna be like, oh, of course, that like we have high expectations. Oh, it's them. no, it's okay. We're gonna get into the, a couple of those. No, yeah, <laughs> I, have, I have to do it though, because the minute I heard, I want to say two days ago now, actually no, it was yesterday, that Katie was coming back to the Nets, bro. Do you know how high of expectations everyone has for that? I know it's the same thing every year. The highest of expectations for KD and Kyrie. And I left Ben Simmons off because I frankly haven't seen him in a Nets uniform yet. So mm-hmm. no disrespect. I just haven't yet. So the amount of pressure on those two to not only be a high seed in the playoffs, but also legit get to the Eastern Conference Finals this year, if they really, whenever, like, and I have to say this, if when they all play, they can be a finals team. When they mm. all play, they can for sure be a finals team. Obviously, you know, they got swept by my Celtics because, <laughs> you know, we we did what we had to do. Hey, but, yeah. but, I mean, you want to talk about high expectations? Like, really high expectations? If they don't get to at least the Eastern Conference Finals with the fully healthy roster, which they have, I mean, people are going to be like, okay, but besides Ben Simmons and, you know, KD and Kyrie, who else do they have? Oh, okay, so we don't, we're not talking about Nick Claxton, who was a rim runner, who was actually pretty solid for them throughout the year. We're not talking about him. They traded away Andre Drummond for a reason because they want to get him a little bit more exposure in that starting lineup. We're not talking about the greatest shooter of all time's brother is Seth Curry, who also has a tendency to hit knockdown shots, clutch shots, just like his brother. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, do we? I think a lot of people just forgot Joe Harris was injured for a ridiculous amount of the mm-hmm. year. We act like he can't shoot threes. We act like he wasn't in three-point competition. There is going to be a significant amount of pressure and high expectations for KD and Kyrie because there is a reason why y'all came to Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and you have to show it this year. Like, yeah. you legitimately have to show it this year. And if you don't, it's going to be – I mean, I'm not going to say it's going to be the end of an era if it doesn't end, like, if they don't this year. But there's going to be so much pressure on this team because we've been waiting for, well, I mean, a lot of people have been waiting for the Nets, Lakers, finals, like people have been talking about, but we've been waiting for them to at least get there. The Lakers at least got there and won it during the bubble. The Nets haven't even got there yet. Mm-hmm. So that's why, like, for me, I was I wasn't going to say number one, but I have a different one for number one, in my opinion. But, I mean, when, when you really think about it, we had to talk about this, right? It's yeah. one of the highest of expectations because of what they can be when they're fully healthy. I'm telling you right now, if they don't get to the Eastern Conference Finals, I'm I'm laughing at this team, really. I mean, who is really there besides the Bucks? I mean, you could put the Celtics back in there. Um, and I mean a healthy Bucks team, by the way, because, look, as a Celtics fan, I know I'm a realistic guy. If Chris mm-hmm. Middleton is in that series, it either goes to seven again or we lose in six. Honestly, when you really think about it, because he's that great of a player. And then, I mean, and if the Sixers actually want to make noise, that's another thing. And the Heat are still there. So if you're looking at all those teams, I truly think the Nets are probably a top three team when healthy in the East. Mm-hmm. They can easily get there. It's just, do they want it enough? Do they really want it? Like, hey, let's get together. Let's put it down. Stop all the, the, the BS aside with Kyrie and, you know, and Katie. I mean, Katie's Twitter is going to be Katie's Twitter in general. Ben, <laughs> please just play, you right. know, like. At, at, at what point are we actually going to say hashtag blame KD? You see what I did there? Oh, you're a bum. <laughs> you're a bum. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, but, yeah, I have the highest of expectations for a reason. So. 
No, I definitely understand you. And as uh, when this episode comes out, this KD stuff will be a little bit older, but it'll still be something that's going to be really important as a talking point during this offseason when you talk about the idea of what this team looks like now that we know that he's made this commitment, right? And you touched on some of the roster guys that they already have, but I mean, you have to also continue down the list, right? Resigning Patty Mills, sneakily picking up a guy in TJ Warren on a flyer, who I think is going to be an interesting fill-in. Also bringing in Royce O'Neal, what I have paid a first first round pick for him? I don't think so. But is he a guy who helps address the defensive end for you if you're going to have this team constructed like this? Yeah, the first round pick makes a little bit more sense when you have KD and Kyrie on the team. It's when you thought that they were going to be potentially on the move that you kind of wondered, well, why would you give up one of your only lone first rounders when you've been giving the Rockets everything else? You ain't got much of a future left to mortgage. But if this is going to be the roster that we look at moving forward, that's going to be important. And I think another thing when you talk about the KD situation is I think you can also lump this in. And this is actually going to be my second guy. So I'm kind of glad that we, we can kind of play off this a little bit is I think Kyrie Irving's in a box when you talk about this upcoming season. And here's just a couple of reasons. And when he went out on the free agency market, did anybody call besides the Lakers who have to quite literally trade for him? No, not really. No. Not a soul. Adrian Wojnarowski literally went on ESPN and made it clear that the market for for Kyrie Irving was barren. He was almost forced to pick up his player option due to the lack of a real market for him. He actually diminished his leverage by showing the league his hand, showing the Nets specifically his hand, and the league kind of returning the favor for the Nets by saying, eh, we're not too worried about that guy. You guys can kind of handle him as your problem. But a secondary thing to that is you look at the way last season went. A lot of last season was focused on the off-court situation of the vaccine, right? Kyrie Irving's not playing because of the vaccine. Kyrie Irving's not on the floor because of the circumstances. Well, that's gone now. There's no other reason to miss games. There's no reason, no other reason outside of injury to, to not be on the floor. This is a guy who also, after having his market tested the way it was and only being on a one-year deal, kind of is in probably the biggest prove-it season of his career. The dude is on the brink of losing his Nike, uh, his Nike sponsorship. Nike is on the on the brink of actually not being open to extending him, similar to how the Brooklyn Nets were not open to sharing a potential to coming up with a potential long-term deal for him. And he's a dude who I think has just created a lot of turmoil at every stop he's been at post the Cleveland Cavaliers saga. So I think as a dude who has immense, immense, who is an immense talent, one of the best point guards in the league, arguably a top 15, top 20 player in the entire NBA when healthy, we have come, we have become accustomed to talking about Kyrie for everything outside of basketball. I remember I was having a conversation with my dad and he actually kind of was going down the list of guards that he would be intrigued with to take over Kyrie Irving. And I had to stop him in his tracks because I knew that the biases from it was coming from his worries about off the court stuff. But I told him, if we look at it in a vacuum and we focus strictly on talent, do you still stick to the list that you're creating? And it was an emphatic no. And I think that goes to tell you that when we're talking strictly basketball, Kyrie Irving is still that talent, and we just haven't been able to talk about it for a while. So I think Kyrie is really under the gun, not only just for his free agency stuff, but just for people to actually go back to talking about him being a top-level player instead of just being 
a locker room cancer. I mean, yeah, I, I 100% agree. I guess the other thing is we got to put egos aside. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, think about it. Like, Boston, they put that. I mean, I only say it because not only did we go to the finals, it's also a young team. Mm. And they had to to put their own small egos aside in order to do so. Like, think about it. When 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 Kyrie was there, yeah, I mean, they, I mean, it, it was a lot going on, whether it be with, uh, you know, uh, Marcus Morris, you know, getting at it with, with Kyrie or whether it be Jalen or Marcus or, you know, Jason, whatever. A lot of guys had like because a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, Jason's that guy for us. So, yeah, maybe it got to just a little bit. But. The fact that he worked on it literally the seat the next season, like, cause when what was the one thing with Jason Tatum that people were like, we need to see more of playmaking, assisting, mm-hmm. and what did he do last season, especially in the playoffs? Whenever his shot wasn't going, he was creating for other guys, hitting JB in the corner, hitting Marcus Smart on the on, on at the top of the key, finding Rob Will on the on the uh, dish and dunk, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We don't see that out of the out of the Nets more. It's more like ah. Uh, I'm leaving for this. I'm leaving for that. Some of them, you know, are valid reasons. Like I think I want to say 2021, um, Kyrie had a kid, and you know he took si- uh, uh, time aside for that, which is probably understandable. Mm-hmm. Some of the other things, I'm like, why are you not playing through this? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, I, again, I haven't been in that situation. Obviously, I'm not in the NBA, but I've seen other guys play through similar things, whether it be an injury, whether it be even. Um, look at Andrew Wiggins, perfect example. I was just was about a, to say, a, there was a that's a guy who was like, I don't know if I want to be vaccinated due to due to his own personal reasons. Mm-hmm. He went out and got it, you know, but bit the bullet, got it right. What happened there? He won a damn ring. Arguably, was the second best player on that team to win a championship Thank during you, that series. Jay. Yeah, so it's like you see what happens when you make sacrifices, mm-hmm. right? What is he not understanding there? Right. You know, so that's why I have a lot of expectations for this team. If you can make those sacrifices, who says you can't go there? So that's my thing. So that's why I got them as uh, my technical second uh, player. Yeah, I think that I think that Brooklyn, I, I, like I said, I think we both agree. And we both tackled it from different points because I think Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving have both set precedents in their own right for why we should have high expectations for this team. I mean, one of them is just very basic. Hey, you're going to make all of this noise during the offseason only to still be on the team, still be under contract and still be playing with the squad under the coach that you still have. Well, there pretty much is nothing else to do but go ball out now because otherwise all the sa- all the, the making noise over the offseason is fraudulent. All of it is just you banging your chest, being annoying, and being extra for the sake of just being a hindrance. And I think that when we – like, again, once we go beyond basketball, and I that's the part that I hate, I use all of these adjectives to describe these guys instead of – the ones that actually describe their games, the fact that they're transcendental talents, the fact that these guys are arguably one of the best duos going into the next NBA season. The fact that I think that the Brooklyn Nets on paper are a top two, top three caliber team in the Eastern Conference. But again, we're talking about all the other things besides that. We spent the entire summer talking about where is Kevin Durant going to be? Where is Kyrie Irving going to be? And not about the fact that actually the, the Nets front office made quiet moves on the margins that if this team stays together, as we now see is going to be, at least for the immediate future, they are actually a really good team. They are actually a really good squad. So I think the fact that now we are now we're going into basketball, all the all the soap opera stuff is gone and the basketball stuff is the primary focus, at least 
for for the time being. Now the question is, okay, y'all say all y'all want to do is hoop. Y'all say all y'all want to do is win. Now that all of the other stuff is behind, what are you guys going to do about your circumstances? Because we know, you mentioned it earlier, a team of this caliber hitting its head on the second round of the Eastern Conference, uh, semi hitting, it, hitting their head on the Eastern Conference semifinals is not enough. It's not enough to define Kevin Durant as an individual talent, which of course people have their own questions about whether or not he can be a winning player as the the head engine, so to speak, for a championship team. Others have similar worries about Kyrie Irving as a guy who can actually be a winning basketball player beyond his years with LeBron James. These are all factors that were actually already incorporated prior to all of this offseason nonsense. And now I think this offseason stuff has only added more fuel to the fire. Yeah, I mean, I really don't have too much more to say. I mean, I could go on and on and on. The Nets um, are easy. Yeah, but the Nets it's, are just, easy. it's really I, – I will say this, and then I want to hear what you got next, but mm. um, everything is there for this team. Like I've said before, everything is there for this team to not only make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, but to also make a finals run. I mean, the only thing getting in the way is – egos and the willingness to actually play with each other so mm. um like like a lot of people have been saying i mean saying kd and Kyrie co-signed steve nash to be the guy to lead them there you know why is there some hesitancy with kd and Kyrie? you know trying to leave right after so mm. it's the willingness to go through the trenches literally and come up on the other side clean so yeah um yeah that's that's it with me so obviously i mean there's probably a lot of people who have them on their list but um, for obvious reasons. I think we all just explain why. Yeah. So I'm going to do my last guy first and then give you the opportunity to close it out with your last guy. And then I think we might even share some honorable mentions because I'm sure there's plenty of guys that fall into this category. Obviously, superstar caliber guys are always going to be under the gun, but there are a few people that fall under that next level of, all right, bro, this kind of got to be the year. But for me, my last guy, actually my top guy, and I'm really curious to hear your thoughts about this, is mine is Anthony Davis, bro. My top guy is Anthony Davis from an expectation standpoint. And I think it's because this roster, has, to this roster has never needed AD more, bro. I have been talking to a couple of people online, offline about the construction of the Lakers roster, and this is some of the worst team building I've seen in my life. When you hear real reputable NBA analysts going on podcasts saying that Austin Reeves might be the next best player after their top three, you are really setting a low bar for this team moving forward. Terrible. You look at an offseason where you give a guy in Lonnie Walker the fourth, the full taxpayer mid-level exception, the entire thing. You sign a guy in Thomas Bryant, who I actually do kind of like. You bring in uh the the homie. People won't get this unless you uh tuned into the old the old show, the Hoop Talk podcast. But they brought in Ian's guy Troy Troy Bolton, aka Troy Brown Jr. to play so on the team. Man. Yes, sir. Lion. <laughs> yes, sir. They brought in the uh, the homie Troy Brown Jr. as well as another guy who I think has some upside. But the way I describe this team, bro, is the island of misfit toys. Look at everybody oh. on this <laughs> roster. 
And everybody falls into the category of being under the redemption arc, right? That's tough. Lonnie, Lonnie Walker couldn't buy minutes under Greg Popovich for the San Antonio Spurs last season. And they're a team that's about to be in the Victor Wimbenyama sweepstakes with a bunch of other squads this upcoming season. You look at a guy in Thomas Bryant. He missed most of the entire season last year due to injury. Um, I even think Troy Brown Jr. is a guy who was picked up by the Bulls seasons ago in the draft and never really panned out. And this is kind of his second chance. They already have a couple of second chance guys like Stanley Johnson on the squad, for example. Right. Right. So it goes Kendrick Nunn. Has it played a, a single has it had a single dribble for this team in live action? You go down the roster and you just you just worry about the team's overall construction. Now, how does this all bring it back to A.D.? Right. Mm. we learned last season that LeBron and I think we've already kind of known this in the past but we learned specifically last season that LeBron James averaging 30 points per game does not mean that it's going to lead to winning basketball it was not a correlation in any way that led to winning basketball actually it really didn't move the needle for them whether he was on or off the floor last season and he did deal with injury as well but I think, and I, this is where I really want to get your thoughts. I thought that last season, the emphasis on the lack of fit between Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis was too much of the focal point to the point that I think Anthony Davis's role in that team not working last year got swept under the rug. I have this low key feeling, or this is just how I feel personally, is that I feel as though, yes, Russell Westbrook didn't fit from a from a stylistic standpoint. Yes, the man shot 30% and lower from three-point land, which definitely does not help you. Completely agree with those things. Ian, I think you could also agree. We also knew that going into the year. So with that right. being the case, if we know that's how that works. Who is the next best guy to be able to kind of make this all work? I actually think that it's Anthony Davis. From a two-way player perspective, his availability and the fact that he had a down year, his lack of availability and the fact that he had a down year, I think were two of the bigger things that really hindered that squad from being successful. Because I'm not saying they would have been a significantly better team had Anthony Davis been around. But I think we would have gotten a much better understanding of how this grouping would have worked if especially AD, who I think played only 40 games last year, were on the floor more consistently. But without that, I don't think we actually got a real tail of the tape on what this team is supposed to look like. I don't think they fit, but shoot, if they're barely together, how will we ever know? You know, I have a couple of things to say. So I think, well, one is pretty small. Um, I'll just get that out the way. I think Lonnie Walker will be kind of decent. I know he couldn't, like, he averaged roughly like 20-ish minutes per game with the, with the Spurs. I mean, he was kind of battling with a lot of guys, whether it be Devin Vassell or Kelvin Johnson, who, you know, kind of catapulted him, honestly, in terms of importance on that team. But think about it this way. I know the next two guys are two different caliber types of players who left the Spurs. But look at what Kawhi did after he left. Look at what... Hopefully, DeJounte hopefully will do after mm. he left, even though he's been, been an absolute menace in every pro game, <laughs> pro-am game he's ever stepped foot in. But, I mean, look what he's – like, he's, he's technically been unleashed, you know? Like, mm. he's ho been holding that in. Who knows what he'll do for Atlanta next year or this mm. year? 
My thing with Lonnie is, who knows, maybe he could kind of have a resurgence playing for, you know, a team with a guy like LeBron who can play make, with a guy like Russell Westbrook, who granted has his criticisms, he can still play make, though. Mm-hmm. Who can wonder what that looks like? And Lonnie Walker's a high flyer. Like, everyone knows that viral clip of when Lonnie Walker should have banged on that boy, uh, but ended up turning it into a fillet. You know, shout out fillet, you already know, but turn it into a, you know, a jelly layup. And everybody on the Nuggets bench is like, oh my, you know, like, like mm. all the faces we get that who knows he maybe he could turn some heads but my thing is i think it could work i think they just weren't ready that year that's my mm. thing i think the expectations exceeded the reality of the thing so for mm. example i always take it back to it's not necessarily the same but i take it back to the big three with the miami heat they mm. didn't figure it out that first year yes they get, got far but they didn't figure it out that first year it took a couple like i want to say the first 15 20 games from the actually mesh mm-hmm. until it figured it out you know what i mean and then obviously it was you know history from there but i think we had the expectations set super high for good reason it's not on us i think mm-hmm. but i just don't think they were that ready my thing with this team is the role players Melo was brought in there for what I mean, a lot of guys brought in there for what? Avery Bradley brought in there for what? Mm. Kent Bazemore, I think he just signed with. I forgot what team he just. The Kings signed. actually. The, oh yeah. my! Like you know, what? I don't even want to talk about him. Because he's <laughs> but again, he was brought in there for what? Kendrick Nunn hasn't even seen the court right. in a Lakers jersey for what the fact that we're talking about shout i love the you know that the name ar-15 i know there's controversy around it whatever that name ar-15 for Austin reason is kind of fired up but i like him you know what mm-hmm. i mean it's the role players from my opinion that also didn't help the fact that lebron james has to go out and score like you said 30 points a game and they're still not making the playoffs mm-hmm. is crazy Definitely. in my opinion and i mean we i'm not trying to throw no shade but we know a guy that said lebron was a defensive liability it's not on him it's not on him when you have other guys not helping him on that end. It can't all be on him. We know how mm-hmm. good he is. That's why I agree with you with that Anthony Davis, uh, that 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 take that he has these, these high expectations on him because we we saw what they did in 2020. We saw what they did in the bubble. They won it for a reason. You you bring in Russ and it's like, oh, they should do it again, and mm-hmm. they didn't. My thing is the focal point of the offense, obviously it's should be centered around either LeBron or AD, depending on what you think, but what is Russ's role there? Mm. Is it, is it, I mean, like what he averages roughly what 15 ish points per game per se. I mean, I'm just going off the top of my head. What, okay. But what does he add value wise? It's not going to be scoring, especially cause he's not going to be that focal point. Mm. Is it what we saw with the, the thunder back in the day? Is it okay? I can get to the cup at will or, I can get to the cup at will, um, drive and dish type of thing, or is it let me not necessarily get in my bag like handle Kyrie Irving because we saw what happened with that with Russ hitting the side of the backboard almost every other game. That's actually ridiculous. But like, is it okay? Am I playmaking for these other guys so maybe I can get an open shot on the perimeter? Not not perimeter. Uh, in the mid range ish area. What is his role? That's my thing because there were there were games where I'm like, okay, well he's. Maybe that guy that, you know, stat stuffs, like gets these points, rebounds, and says, we get that. Or it's, okay, we need you to be the bag burner and supply what we're missing, whether mm-hmm. it be playmaking, whether it be the energy on the defensive end, on the defensive perimeter. Because we know we can do that. Sometimes mm-hmm. it was just lost, but we know we can do that. We've seen it before. So 
Um, I think for me, it's just role playing. Um, what are they doing in terms of that? Like, we really need to see a lot more, um, especially because we know what Carmelo can do and and some other guys on that team. And again, what is Russell's role in that offense? So, Well, that's the thing. That's the thing, too, Ian. I mean, even like you talk about Carmelo, like Carmelo's still a free agent, bro. Like, I mean, he's still a free agent. Dwight Howard's trying out for WWE. Like this team is this team is in <laughs> shambles, bro. Like I really think I'm I, I mean, I don't know if I'm pushing a narrative here, but I've kind of been on the record a few times for saying that, like, I think that this team supporting cast wise is no better, if not worse, than last year's team. I thought at least with some of the pieces that they had, there was at least some kind of upside you could see in terms of the functionality of some of the guys. I think Dwight Howard understood his role as a rim running center that was mainly supposed to play the five when AD didn't. I think that Carmelo Anthony, he was a guy who had a really solid year shooting the three-point, uh, shooting from beyond the arc, shot 37% from beyond the arc last season. I thought that was huge because his ability to be a knockdown shooter off the bench was big time. I think that Malik Monk, he didn't really take any significant strides. I think if you actually look at the stats, his year is actually almost similar to the season he had the year before with Charlotte. But I think that you at least understood what his role was supposed to be. I think for this team, dude, I heard a podcast say that their closing, their best closing five lineup might include Juan Toscano Anderson. That's tough. I That's, mean, I like, I like, I like JTA, but yeah, not to close tough. games. I love JTA too. I think he's got a little bit of Swiss Army knife to him, but I don't know if I want him to close games for my team. If I've got championship aspirations, hey, Golden State ain't never asked him to do that. Come on now. You know what I mean? So, you know, there's just all of that. So, uh, with that being the case, uh, that's my last guy. Who is your last guy before we get into honorable mentions? Man, I feel like I did a lot of obvious ones, but they were obvious for a reason they needed to be explained. But look, man, I was so high on Zion in high school. We doing this now? Yes, we're doing it now. Oh. Jamie, I'm about to throw the laptop. We have to do it, man. Because, <sighs> right. bro, you want to talk about a team that was fighting for their life for years, <laughs> right? Got Zion. Then that whole saga. Remember that whole story about how someone in his family was angry that yep. he got drafted by the Pelicans? There was that whole saga. There was a whole saga that doesn't even want to play for the Pelicans. There was mm -hmm. a whole thing. This offseason, what if he goes to the Knicks because Cam got traded there and RJ was already there? There was that whole thing. And then it goes to, no, I want to stay. I got this contract in the offseason. I got that Supermax. Yep. Now you have to prove it, one, which I think he'll do. You have to prove it, one. This team already got to the playoffs without him. Imagine how good they can be with him there. Yes. That's yeah, that's the, I'm like it. Like I'm, I'm almost shaking because like I'm mad I haven't seen him that much, but I'm also shaking because I'm excited uh -huh. how good this Pelicans team can, can be. Yes, we thought I was also one of these people that thought they were going to get swept off the floor against the Suns in that series. The fact that they took it to six, mm -hmm. imagine if Zion's there. Right. Imagine oh, if he is playing it. with an emerging star. I mean, I think he's a star now. A guy that's only getting better in Brandon Ingram. That trade for CJ was huge. Mm -hmm. Imagine all of those pieces coming together. And then shout out uh, Grand Theft Alvarado. For those of you who don't know, Jose Alvarado coming out of the clutch of nowhere. Basically, in my opinion, he's basically a more calm and tame Patrick Beverly. Imagine... <laughs> 
what this team can do. Mm-hmm. Oh, and don't get me started on Herb Jones, who I think is going to be pretty solid for them in the future. Mm-hmm. This team has so much potential. It I want to throw the laptop sometimes <laughs> because they should be better than they are. You know what I mean? So that's why, Zion, oh, my goodness, your expect- expectations are so high. The fact that you were a cover athlete and you only played what? I want to say still roughly 23 to 30-ish games in this many years. There mm. is so much on you this year. I can't even – I could talk to on it for an hour. I really could. The fact that he was coming into the league, people said he had a lot to work on, including his three-point shot. In the first 10 games of the – when he played for the Pelicans, it looked like he had it down. Yeah. I was like, wait. <laughs> I was like, wait. This is different. Mm-hmm. Imagine if he's doing that. Plus, he's a big body. It's not like he's going to get bodied by anybody. He can get to the cup at will. He's a high flyer. Hopefully, I, I want to say the weight is intact compared mm-hmm. to what we've been seeing from Willie Green and everybody on that staff been saying he looks better. Mm-hmm. My thing is you just got to play. That's right. it. And, oh, my goodness, his expectations, I could genuinely see him being a 25-point-per-game scorer. He's not, I don't think he'll be the focal point. I think he'll still be with Brandon Ingram because of what he has been doing. But you want to talk about – I mean, it's not like they say two legends can't coexist. You know what I'm saying? Like, they can have two 25-point-per-game scores. They really can. It's, uh-huh. not like, it's not like it's not impossible. His efficiency is super high to a point that they can do that and have CJ score roughly in the 18 to 20 point per, uh, point per game range. Mm. You know what I mean? So, oh my gosh, his expectations are so high. It's it's, it's mind-boggling. Like, he could be an all-star this year if he really wanted yeah. to. He could. Yeah. Like, it's there are so many expectations. You want to talk about an actual Dark Horse MVP? He could be if they really place talk about it ian because we got to get it see because that's what i that's exactly why i was ready to pivot because the other thing when you talk about this idea of being having significant expectations right we touched on it a little bit earlier because you you made a perfect point when you talk about that phoenix sun series everything that was coming out of new orleans anybody who was willing to talk about new orleans after that series what's the first thing that came out of their mouth boy what would that series have ended up looking like if they had Zion, right? We're talking, mind you, we're talking about the eight seed upsetting the far and away number one overall seed in the entire NBA with, you know, the best record in the league. And it wasn't close. 64 wins. The next closest team literally was the Memphis Grizzlies at 56. It was that much of a gap. This team dominated in the regular season and they were coming into the postseason as one of the hottest teams in the league. And here comes the New Orleans Pelicans, like you mentioned, with a handful of guys, Jose Alvarado, Herb Jones, who I think is a, he has all the, de- he has all defensive team caliber tools to the point that I think he can make that jump next, th- this upcoming season. Um, I think you made a really great point about CJ McCullum and Brandon Ingram, but I also think something else to be talked about is like Zion Williamson fits in really well because he's a guy who I think he can get his 20 and 10 without even being ran- having plays ran for him. Because he's a guy who just plays very well off of just being super active. So I think the big thing, too, when you talk about his expectations is like, all right, bro, we saw this team make the playoffs without you. We saw this team beat the Clippers in a play-in tournament without you. We saw this team push the number one overall seed in the Phoenix Suns to six games without you. If you come back and you don't ball out, if you don't, if this team doesn't take out, at least it doesn't have to be a significant leap, right? But if this team is not moving forward with you on this roster as an active participant, 
bro, we're in a, you know what I mean? We're in a tough spot with that situation then because then you have to start wondering. We know that, we know Zion Williamson is a generational talent. We know this. We've had this conversation before. But at the end of the day, if Zion is just going to be an injury-prone, what-if story, how can you build around? Nope, nope. Don't talk about it. That'll be my de- if if that is a what if scenario or situation we talk about in the future. That's my drinking inspiration. There's no way because that's crazy. <laughs> that's actually crazy. There's no way, bro. Like the fact that <laughs> no, no, nah, I can't. I almost had a nightmare in during the daytime. That's crazy. No, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not thinking about it, bro. But I mean, everything you just said is absolutely true, though. Like I, I completely forgot they did beat the Clippers. In that play, I mean, yeah, I mean, Paul George, that whole thing that you got mm. COVID before the game, whatever. But like, even still, what if Paul George and Zion are playing? This is the, I honestly think the Pelicans still win. So, I mean, granted, if you had Kawhi, it's a different story. But I mean, but I mean, like, oh my goodness, it's it's. I'm so eager to watch the Pelicans this year, and I I didn't think those words would ever come out of my mouth because <laughs> the fact their potential is so incredibly high, it's actually ridiculous. So, mm. yeah, honestly, I would say Zion is the guy that has the most pressure in my opinion, because think about it, like, I, don't, I hope it's not, I hope it's not, I don't think it will, but if he is that what if guy, oh man, what if, you know, Ja did go number one, you know, that right. type of thing, what if, what if he didn't have that whole foot thing going on, what if the whole weight, blah, 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 man, like, I'm not trying to have that, but if we do, <laughs> it's going to be one of those things, like, man, his potential could have been crazy, and I hate those types of conversations, yeah. because then you have to add him to the rankings of a, a Grant Hill, or a uh, you know, a, a Derrick Rose if he stayed healthy mm-hmm. with the Bulls type of thing, or or you know, like all that type of stuff. And I hate those conversations because all those guys, one of probably my favorite shooting guard of all time, and I know he didn't play a lot, but Brandon Roy, him, yes, those mm-hmm. are so many guys who got injured, whether it be do their own thing or just you know, um, it, it happened, you know, right. like uh, just mistakes here and there, whatever. But. <sighs> I can't. I just. I can't wait for Pelicans basketball, and I know it's just weird for me to say that, but I cannot wait. So no, nah, I co- uh, I'm completely with yeah. you on that one. When you talk about the kind of upside of this team, and it's weird to talk about a guy who you know we haven't really seen on the floor that often in these past couple of seasons to say he's the guy with the most expectations. But I actually think that same thing is what probably fuels the expectations. I think half the intrigue with Zion Williamson is just actually seeing it done on the floor for a consistent period of time, for a significant period of time. Because I think that all we know Zion for so far is what? I think about a 26 to 27 true game, true uh, sample size. Roughly, Um, yeah. So, I mean, when you look at the circumstances, we really don't we really don't even have true intel on what Zion Williams's potential looks like. I think that we got a small insight to that, but I think that it wasn't enough data for us to really tell what exactly he his trajectory is. Like I think we I think because of the weight stuff and everything else like that, he falls into that significant boom bust potential kind of category where this is a guy where his play style could be the detriment to him, but his play style could also be the thing that makes him the best player in the league in two, three years. And I think that's really important when you talk about setting that foundation this season, because your team's coming off a lot of success. Now we drop you into the mix. And the question is now, what do you do to make this team better as the guy that everybody considers to be the one that's got to lead this team to the promised land if they're going to be a real championship contender. 
The last thing I will say, and because, I mean, it's just, it's something you have to say. You're about to go into, I want to say it's fourth year, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. fourth year. 85 games in three years is absolutely crazy. Yeah. That's just crazy. Yeah. It is. And the fact that I keep seeing the <laughs> 2020, 2021, 2022, oh, injury did not play foot. And the fact that you can, can control that mm-hmm. is, man, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man. So Zion definitely is a is going to be an interesting talking point. Like you said, it's weird to say that it's hype to, that there's real hype around watching the Pelicans, but I think last season they built a lot of uh they bought a, they built a lot of cachet. I think with the way that they played towards the back end of the season, recovering from a really tough start to the year. They started out three and thirteen, and kind of you thought that was going to be the start of something real detrimental. And instead, they kind of really put some stuff together, and the guys have figured out their roles. And Willie Green is coaching his ass off over there. But before we close the pod out, uh, I just want you to share maybe like one or two honorable mentions who didn't make the list. Obviously, we kept the list pretty short. Uh, but who are maybe one or two guys that didn't crack the list that you think still are important to mention or at least important for the audience to maybe keep an eye out on as we get into the season? Yeah. Uh, one is, I guess, you know, coming off a great rookie season. I mean, he won the Rookie of the Year award. Scotty Barnes. Um, I'm not going to say a super high, but look, you won the Rookie of the Year award for a reason. Mm-hmm. There is a stigma that comes with that. So you kind of have to, I'm not going to say you have to prove yourself again next year, but I mean, people go through sophomore stumps, but he's the guy you got to keep an eye on because when you look at that team, obviously Fred Van Vliet was the all-star last year. They have Siakam there. Can you be that third guy that catapults the Raptors into being like last year? I mean, they, they made it kind of difficult for the Sixers, but we knew they weren't winning that series. Can you be a team that actually is disruptive this year uh, to a point? Not, I'm not going to say like, Oh, get back to the finals, but like, Hey, do you want to be a team that could take like a, like, you know, you're a six seed. Can you take a, a three t- three seed to a seven-game series? Can you take a two seed to a seven-game series? That type of thing. And if, they ha- if they're if they going to, Scotty Barnes has to be one of the reasons why. Mm-hmm. Um, my other one and my last one is uh, um, emerging as a superstar, depending on how he plays this year, in my opinion, John Morant. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, for him, I think he's already proven a lot. But the weirdest thing with me with him was you won Rookie of the Year and then you won MIP. It should have been you won Rookie of the Year, then MVP, in my opinion. Mm. So, because uh, a lot of guys, mm. think about it, not too many second overall picks are the most improved player. So, mm-hmm. okay, congratulations, you won it. You gave it to Desmond Bain for a reason because you know you can do better. So, yes. another guy who is a, an MVP candidate, in my opinion, more so of a dark horse. I know I said Luca was a dark horse. Obviously, he's probably going to be one of the, in the top three at the end of the year, but. Uh, John Moran, definitely a dark horse MVP candidate. Do you mm. want to prove to them this year? Like, obviously, you're most improved for a reason, but why? Prove that again. And honestly, this year, you prove it by getting to the Western Conference Finals. So, mm. and whether it, be, whether it be a rematch with the Golden State Warriors or whoever, I personally think it will be, but that's how you do it, right? So, that's my other honorable mention because, again, everyone, I don't know if you were, but me, I was like, is it weird that the second overall pick got most improved? Or was mm-hmm. it just me? So, I mean, granted, he was deserving for sure. But I was like, hmm, a little, little bit interesting. Like me personally, I thought it should have gone to a guy like DeJounte or mm-hmm. Darius Garland based on where they got drafted and what they've done in the previous years. But, yeah, I think there's a lot of pressure on him to be take another leap. Mm-hmm. So, 
yeah, that that's those are my two honorable mentions. No, I think picking two young guys is really uh really smart, and I also think that it's really important to kind of show that like the next phase of the league is coming, man. So I think putting that onus on these guys' shoulders is really important because they are the next phase of the superstars that we're gonna see. And I think the biggest thing is when you talk about John Morant, right? They've taken a small step moving forward every season for the last two or three seasons now, and we saw real progression from them. A lot of people wondered whether if, if John Morant was were not injured towards the back half of that Warriors series, could that have been a much more competitive series than it already even was? With Scotty Barnes, he kind of came, you can't really say out of nowhere, but um, him being taken fourth overall on draft night threw a lot of people off that very day. And well, I'll say him, real quick. No, go ahead. I'll say real quick. Uh, I did think he was a dark horse MVP candidate, but no, you're not wrong. I mean, especially at four, it did throw a lot of people off. So like, I kind of see it as like, this is why I'm high on Keegan Murray. Mm-hmm. Same thing with him. He could yeah. be a dark horse for rookie of the year because of that, because of what Scotty, Scotty Barnes did last year. But yeah, continue. Exactly. Like, yeah, I think that Scotty Barnes, I don't think he caught anybody lacking because at the end of the day, you're a top five pick, right? But I think the idea is first, he already set the precedent by being taken fourth when a lot of people figured Jalen Suggs was the obvious pick. A lot of people were already penciling him there, this, then, the third. We've seen at least through one season how that's worked out in the favor of the Raptors by going the different way as opposed to going with the consensus. But I also think that, like you said, he's playing on a playoff caliber team. He's playing on a team that has real championship equity. I don't think they have that superstar yet, but I think that Scotty Barnes has the tools at least to develop into a a second or third option on a real play, a playoff, a perennial playoff team. And then with John Moran, like we said before, him, man, I, I completely agree with you with taking that next step. And I think he has the, the, the chops to do it. He was a guy that was between five and seven in most people's MVP power rankings throughout the entire season last year. And I think if it weren't for some video game numbers from some of the guys at the top, I think that John Morant would have had a really strong case. I also think his team playing pretty well with him off the floor obviously kind of hurt his score a little bit. But um, the two guys I have, it's funny. I'm actually going the exact opposite route in terms of my two honorable mentions. You went very young. I'm going to go kind of old, man. Former teammates in James Harden and Chris Paul. These are two guys that are in get it done mode man if we're being real chris paul the last time we saw cp3 he turned 37 and he looked exactly like what we thought he was going to be all year long the minute he cracked 37 in the postseason he turned into a shell of himself the question now is with a full seven or full year of 37 year old chris paul with a window that's getting shorter and shorter as the seasons go along let's be real last year with the way they dominated in the regular season it seemed like last year was going to be their year to really make that push. Everybody was making significant progress. Devin Booker's in the conversation for whether or not he's the top shooting guard in the entire NBA. Chris Paul was getting MVP consideration despite averaging 14 and 11, right? DA is playing solid for their team. Obviously, their overall roster makeup is one that a lot of teams would love to have. CP is running out of time though, bro. Let's be real. He's running out of time. And then for James Harden, He made the sacrifice, and I think that was the first big step. He made the sacrifice in terms of being willing to take less money in order to get guys who really fit the roster. Getting Daniel House and P.J. Tucker are really big, really solid signings. Obviously, getting P.J. Tucker away from Miami is a big blow in its own sense, but I think adding him to your team, to your defense, is also a better uh, upgrade. They also got DeAnthony Melton in the offseason via a trade from the Grizzlies that I think he's going to be a really solid pickup as well. When you look at this squad now, 
Since James Harden has become a solo star, I think this is the best roster James has played for. I think in terms of it being tailor-made for his play style, while also him not being having to be the only guy that does it all, right? Because he has a guy, he has a co-star, a 1A slash 1B to lean on in Joel Embiid, which in a sense, I, I think we also have to talk about the fact that they're probably going to be one of the best pick and roll duos in the league, right? Just off right. the strength. So I think that James Harden now having the ideal roster to really make a run. Now, the East is no joke. We know that. Your Celtics are I, – I think your Celtics is the, the second deepest, if not the deepest team in the entire NBA right now. With some signs they made. I think that Miami is still scary just based off pedigree alone. The Bucks are always going to be dangerous with Giannis, right? You go down the list. They're, obviously, we talked about KD and the Nets earlier. But I think that if you look at the way the 76ers are constructed, they have a real chance to make a push for this with the way they with the with the guys that they have. I wouldn't say that James Harden's window is nearly as closed as CP's is, but this was a guy that people were discussing as being washed after last postseason. This was like they were going out on that limb of being of having wonders of whether or not we had seen the last of the MVP caliber James Harden. And I think that some of the things that he's shown in this past and this offseason so far is his version of taking strides towards not only proving those people wrong, but actually showing that he's more committed to winning basketball games than we've seen in the past. And I think that's really important because he's already been talented enough to be able to reflect that. Now the question is being able to win in the big game. The big game conversation with James has always been a narrative. There's going to have a come, there's going to come a point where, you know, patience is going to run thin. I think with this season, with the team that he has, if, if, if he's unable to get far with this squad, I don't know how much how much more he's going to be able to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I 100% agree. See, this is why I like the topic, you know, because you can go in so many different directions with so many different guys. I mean, mm-hmm. there's expectations for almost every player in the league when you really think about it, but there's different and higher expectations for some of the guys like we mentioned during the episode. Um, I'll only say a couple things for each guy. I mean, for Harden, avoid disappointment. Simple mm-hmm. as that. Same thing with, honestly, same thing with Chris Paul. Avoid disappointment. That thing was pathetic in game seven that game was actually pathetic for a team that went to the to the finals the year before had a pretty good series with the bucks and ended up losing i want to say it's six right pathetic outing at home game seven i thought deandre Aiden was gone you bring him back that <laughs> adds that adds to another you know mm-hmm. that adds to your point if you lost him it, it it i think it would diminish the point a little bit because you know no one's really rocking with i mean what's his name starage i mean i think that would be the the point could be the next guy up but you bring him back obviously he's there for a reason you sign him to the supermax you got to make it happen and mm-hmm. then with harden and you know Embiid, again avoid disappointment we saw that i mean you probably saw the picture of him in probably the best shape he's ever been in his mm-hmm. life he's he's making the efforts to do so you get like you said you just get a guy like pj tucker you take him away from the heat and what he did and if you if you're big on analytics look at the win shares pj tucker had to that Heat roster and tell me he wasn't important to that team. Mm-hmm. Um, you bring him away from the from the Heat and bring him to a team like the Sixers who could obviously desperately use him. And, you know, there is a case for the 76ers to actually get to a point that they haven't been in a while, which is the Eastern Conference Finals, and potentially, I don't think they do it, but potentially the Finals. But, um, again, like, again, there's a lot of deep teams in the East, so that's another thing to, to, to throw into the loop. But, again, I think for both guys it's – especially for the highest of expectations is avoid disappointment. So I I completely agree. 
Yeah, man. So we're going to close out the podcast the way I like to close it out with everybody else, which is, of course, is giving you the floor to be able to share where you where you can be found on social media, as well as any other work that you're working on. You know that this is, you know, this is my favorite time of the year. The offseason is the chance to kind of really, you know, collect thoughts and really have some real strong basketball conversations while things are settled down. And we can kind of really analyze the situation before we get into what's going to be a pretty fast paced year. But this is the floor for you to be able to plug all your content because come on, man. We got to be able to find the homie. You already know. Yeah. um, The impact of Ian Evans, I'm trying to do it more bi-weekly, but it should be weekly come the football season. Got a whole bunch of stuff coming up there, whether it be uh, NBA recap, basically, of everything that's been going on. And then on top of that, I'm doing some fancy football stuff. I'm actually bringing in a new segment. It's it's called Bragging Rights. It's a fancy football league me and my boys put together. As per usual, you know your boys, the reigning champs, so we got to talk trash (laughs) on that joint. But um, expect those episodes weekly with a whole bunch of football stuff. Mm-hmm. Shout out to everybody who, I mean, if you haven't, uh, follow me on TikTok, Twitter, uh, IG at Strong Impacts. Um, the TikTok just recently hit 1.2K, so uh, especially because I put a lot of betting content out there. So if you're a big better, definitely go check that out for sure. I'm, I'm actually on a crazy streak right now. Um, so if you like money, go follow that. But um, a, lot of, a lot of stuff coming. Stay tuned. And obviously I have to plug, you know, uh, my employer, Bleacher Report, we got a whole bunch of stuff going on, whether it be football, whether it be basketball, um, baseball even. Um, we got a whole bunch of stuff going on, so check all that out. But uh, And obviously, you know, my main page is uh, at Ian A.C. Evans. That's my personal page if you want to give that a follow as well. But also shout out to the homie Jay. We, I know we uh done one of these in a minute. We kind of just been all over the place busy and, you know, some few and stuff, some stuff few and far between. But um, it's good to be back, and obviously can't wait for basketball because you know I'm going to get you on my, my joint too. Most definitely, bro. You know I appreciate always talking basketball. I love having great conversations about hoops because at the end of the day, man, that's how we learn more about the game. Uh, for the uh, content that Ian has been putting out, I'm going to drop all the links in the comment section down below as well as the description just so you guys can check out the man's content because the dude is all over the place. I mean, he's in all different pockets with all different kinds of sports. So the man is versatile. It gives you a chance to kind of play around with things if you're kind of getting into something different or if you're already interested in a certain sport and just want to get a different perspective. But with that being the case, leave in the comment section down below, who do you think is a guy that has significantly high expectations heading into this 2022-23 offseason? But until next time, peace.